What's going on, everybody, and welcome into another edition of B-Shape Daily. I'm Brendan Schaefer here with you here on the early morning hours of May 5th. It's Thursday now, but on Wednesday, the Cardinals, well, what do you know? The offense showed up as the Cardinals finished off their season series with the Kansas City Royals in a major way with an offensive explosion, 10 runs. The Cardinals scored out at Kauffman Stadium on Wednesday afternoon. Royals didn't get any, and so that's a win for the Cardinals. They end up taking four out of five over the Royals for the season. That is already the last time these two teams in the I-70 series will meet in 2022. But the Cardinals got the best of Kansas City, their cross-state rival, on Wednesday as St. Louis put up big-time run support for Adam Wainwright, who had a good start, a really good start for Wainwright, and it's one that he needed, I think, after having maybe a little bit of trouble in some of his recent outings. Uh, the overall numbers for the season weren't so bad, but there there had been a couple starts for Wainwright that it just didn't feel like he had everything clicking, and he knew it, and it didn't necessarily mean anything as far as a, a large-scale commentary on what his season would look like, and I think you knew that, but there is always that element of, with Wainwright, having seen some lean years for him and then seen him rebound and rediscover himself in the way that he has you wanted to make sure that you saw classic vintage Wayno sooner rather than later uh, so that you just had a good feeling to know what what this season is ultimately going to look like for him and that's what Wainwright was able to get done in his outing on Wednesday seven innings of scoreless baseball for Wainwright as he held down the Royals offense which again We know the Royals have had their own trouble putting together runs similarly to the Cardinals, but the Cardinals have at least occasionally every third or fourth day, it seems they put up a crooked number in a big way. And today or Wednesday, I should say was a double digit example of that. Didn't need them all because Wainwright was very good. He only gave up one hit to Kansas city across seven innings, walked one and uh, didn't give up any runs. Seven scoreless for Wainwright. McFarland and Packy Naughton came in to finish the job in, in what was a blowout, certainly by that point. Cardinals really had this game on lock from the very beginning. And I believe I even made this point on the last episode of B-Shape Daily, talking about Tuesday's game and previewing a little bit what was to come on Wednesday. When I saw that Chris Bubich was on the mound, left-handed pitcher for the Royals, had an ERA over 10, and you felt like it could be a get-right spot for Wainwright, this was a, a a day where I said, yeah, the Cardinals lineup may end up having having a good one. And they really didn't get too much of an opportunity to do it against Bubich because they performed so well against him in that first inning that Mike Matheny, the Royals manager, decided uh, Bubich was not long for this game and he wasn't even going to finish the first inning. He recorded just one out before being removed by Matheny following the first major league hit of Juan Yepes, who had a day to remember in the Cardinals lineup. He started in right field, which is something that we'll talk about. Maybe not something I'm super comfortable with uh, on the regular moving forward, but Cardinals manager Ali Marmal said we we were going to get his bat in the lineup one way or another, and right field seemed to be the way to do it on Wednesday. Dylan Carlson got the day off from at least a starting perspective. He did enter the game later on as a pinch hitter took an at-bat, and, and then came in to play right field for the remainder of the game. But they wanted to find a way to get Yepes in there, and 
They put him in right field, and he delivered a couple of base hits. Two doubles, in fact. Both of them pretty similar. Blue pits down the right field line where he was able to make second base. But, hey, any way you get him, it works out. And uh, Juan Yepes becomes the first Cardinal to go for multiple doubles in his Major League debut with the team. So that's something that no Cardinal before him has ever done. Congratulations to Juan Yepes on on that achievement and on just, in general, making the big leagues, getting that first hit under his belt. And in doing so, Juan Yepes has actually cemented my fate as I lost a bet that I placed about five years ago. And it wasn't so much a bet as it was an agreement that I tweeted out, and it's still there. I retweeted it on Wednesday just after Yepes got that first hit. I wanted to to call myself on my own uh, on my own crap before anybody else got the chance to do so. But it also was kind of fun because if you remember back to 2017, the Cardinals had Matt Adams and traded him away in a deal that at the time I called basically a move to clear up a 40-man roster spot. With the, the conversation about the 40-man roster and, and having those openings and those spots available. It's something we still talk about, but five years ago we were talking about it too. And so when I saw that move with the Cardinals, okay, they trade away Matt Adams to the Braves for uh, really a non-prospect in Juan Yepes, teenager, hadn't really heard of him, didn't really know anything about him, but it just felt like the kind of deal that the Cardinals make when – a semi-veteran player just doesn't fit the mold of what they're looking to do at this point. And so they send him somewhere else to play and and maybe give him a chance. And that's what the Cardinals kind of did with Matt Adams. The return for him really wasn't the point of that trade. And and that was the argument that I was kind of making that, well, this Juan Yepes, he's 18 years old, never really played beyond low A ball, never really had a whole lot of uh, offensive success even at that point in A ball, just a you know, low OPS, had a, had a little bit of good numbers there in rookie ball as a 17-year-old kid in 2015. But, you know, what what do we know about that? So at the time, I had told someone on Twitter, I believe his name's Brendan, and still follow him. He still follows me. But he was making a case for, you know, Juan Yepes being more than just, uh, you know, a kind of a, a dump to get rid of Matt Adams. And it was like, well, this kid they got back has performed better than his age level at, at leagues that are that are higher than his average age level. And so, you know, you never know. Maybe this kid turns into something. And I said, listen, if Juan Yepes records a single hit for the St. Louis Cardinals at some point down the road, I will buy you, and I said, one beer, 16-ounce limit. And so I offered to buy Guy a beer if Yepes ever uh, were to happen to make the big leagues and record a hit for the Cardinals. That was May 20th of 2017. I tracked this tweet down today. Well, guess what, folks? I owe somebody a beer now because uh, Juan Yepes not only got one hit today for the Cardinals, but he got two, two doubles. So I was wrong to discount Juan Yepes, and he he's clearly earned everything that he's gotten through this point in his career, worked his way up from A-ball with the Cardinals, you know, started with A-ball in the Braves organization, and then with the Cardinals, worked his way up, continued to to hit the ball pretty much everywhere he had been. And really, in 2021, after the, the lost season of the minor leagues due to COVID, he came out 
and, and performed well at Double A. Got a promotion to Triple A. Performed well. He just hit everywhere he went that year, and so that's what really launched him, I think, onto the radar. Just the idea that after a, a 2020 that was lost, where he had been kind of playing at Peoria, and which was at the time low A, and then went up to high A, and had okay numbers, was still hitting decently, but then was able to not miss a beat when he makes the full-time jump to Springfield. He'd even played a little bit in Springfield back in 2019, but not much, and didn't do a whole lot there. OPS below 700. But then 2020 happens, and he's back on the Springfield roster in 21, and he made the most of his chance, did the same thing when he got called up to Memphis, so much so that at the end of last season, you remember Juan Yepes was on that playoff game roster for the Cardinals, didn't bat, but he was thought of enough inside the organization to be placed on that roster. And then I think entering spring training this year, Yepes had every opportunity to maybe grab hold of a bench spot and, and break camp with the team. That was the idea throughout the offseason, I think. But then when you get into the spring training and it actually happens and the lockout ends, Yepes just didn't didn't really show maybe the way that people probably thought he would and, and the way he probably thought he would. Just didn't have a great spring, and there's no nothing wrong with that. It, those those things are going to happen, and for him, it was you know maybe pegged as an opportunity, and and he just didn't quite seize it. Did okay, hit two fifty. OPS was seven seventy three in in spring over twenty six plate appearances. So not like he did a bad job or anything, but he just didn't maybe emerge in the way that you thought or or the team maybe hoped that he would. And I think that's in part what led to the Albert Pujols reunion. Not that. That's the only reason that it happened. But I would say if Yepes was coming into spring training, hitting the cover off the ball with multiple home runs and just an obvious choice for the bench at that point, the Albert thing may not have happened. And so just the fact that he had an average fine spring, nothing special, I think opened the door to the Cardinals to say, yeah, this this can work. This is a timing thing that makes sense as we give ourselves some extra depth just in case uh, the guys that are internal don't don't pan out. And that's the route that they went. And the Corey Dickerson signing doesn't maybe have quite as much to do with Yepes because I think from a handedness standpoint, they were looking at that DH spot and they said, we can make a platoon out of this, but Yepes is a right-handed batter. And and Albert sort of comes in and supplants the role that Yepes, we, we think in our minds anyway, would have played. And then from the left side, there's Dickerson, who you could view as having uh, somewhat of a competition with Lars Newbar and maybe Nolan Gorman, who also didn't take the league by storm necessarily in, in Grapefruit League play in spring. He didn't get quite as many opportunities as Yepes. I think Yepes genuinely was being given so many at-bats. I think he led the team in plate appearances in spring because they really wanted to see what they had in this guy and, and try to make a determination about his future. And ultimately, he took a little bit more of a winding path here. He's up to the big leagues a month later, but... That explains what they were doing with Yepes. With Gorman, they gave him 16 plate appearances as well. He just had a bad spring. It wasn't even mediocre. Two for 16, two singles is all he mustered. Seven strikeouts, no extra base hits, no walks. So his batting line was 125 across the board. 125 on base, 125 slug to go with a 125 batting average for Gorman in spring. Well, it's a good thing that uh, spring training doesn't determine everything, right? Well, I guess in some cases it is. In the case of Nolan Gorman, it's good because he's come out and has been gangbusters with the Memphis Redbirds up to 11 home runs on the season. Juan Yepes had nine home runs before getting the call up on Tuesday and then joined the team with, within the lineup on Wednesday. 
I guess unfortunate for a, a guy like Paul DeYoung, though, that spring stats don't mean everything because he's hitting 130 this year with the Cardinals after having, by all accounts, a great spring where he OPSed over 1,300. And so it, it's just one of those things that you can call it that's baseball. But that's kind of the breakdown of where things are right now. And Yepes, it's not like he stung the ball, but he but he put the bat to the ball a couple of times, was able to get rewarded for that and have a couple of doubles. I'll be curious to see where he slots into the mix moving forward. Because on a day where they score 10 runs, it's happy talk, right? There's nothing negative to say. There's there's no concern on a day where you win 10 nothing. And it wasn't just Yepes that was providing damage for the Cardinals. Nolan Arenado had another big game, two for four. He was the the real finishing blow in that first inning to Chris Bubich. Started the game by walking Edmund and then walking Goldsmith, and then it was Arenado who said, nope, you're not going to get away with that. Three-run shot right away, puts the Cardinals up, then got a 3-0 count on Pujols. And I thought to myself, Pujols had said to Jeff Jones early this morning, I saw the tweet where he said uh, he thought he was going to do some damage in this game on Wednesday. And so 3-0 count on Albert, I thought he's going to be swinging away for sure. And he was lined out to to center field. And then it was Yepes's turn, and he got the double, which ultimately was the one that chased Bubich. But the, the damage was done by Arenado. Five RBIs on the day for Nolan. Gets him up to 23 on the season. He's got seven home runs. He's got the OPS around 1,100. Ended up going two for four. This guy is on an MVP caliber track right now for the Cardinals, and and it's a good thing that he is because, again, we talk about the inconsistency elsewhere in the lineup. It's good that you're kind of your anchor, your steady presence is getting the job done right now. The top of the order was a little bit of a strange day on Wednesday because Edmund and Goldsmith both reached base three different times each, a combined six times. Neither of them earned a base hit. Each of them drew three walks in the game. How crazy is that? But that's exactly what you need. It's all you need at the top of the lineup. Edmund's job is to get on base as the leadoff man. That's it. He doesn't need to hit for power. He needs to score your runs. And the guys like Arenado are, are there to drive him in. And that's what Nolan did on Wednesday with the five RBIs. Edmund scoring two of those runs. Goldsmith scored a run as well. Yes, you want him to be more of a, a power producer as well in that number two spot in the order. However, I do think there is a, a sense for Goldsmith, and I've talked about this in the past, where he feels a, a sense of obligation knowing that Guys like Arenado and even O'Neal when he's going right, which hasn't really been the case this season, although had a big swing today that we'll talk about here in a moment after moving down in the lineup. This was really the first time that Ali Marmol had done some tinkering there and moved Tyler down to the six hole. But I think Goldsmith, knowing that those power bats are behind him, he's comfortable slotting in, especially when they've got him batting second, into that role that's more of a, a run scorer than a run producer. He can always give that swing that makes it happen, that that puts runs on the board. He's a power bat that's capable of that, but it works for the Cardinals to have him be sort of a table setter as well. I think it's a hybrid role that Goldschmidt has adapted himself to very nicely when batting second, which has been a primary position for him over the, the years he's been with the Cardinals. I think it works. I think it's a good spot for him. I think in a perfect world with, with Dylan Carlson going well, number two in the lineup could be a good spot for him too. But we, we just haven't really seen a whole lot of that. It's either been leadoff for Dylan or they shove him down lower in the lineup. And for this season, it is what it is. He hasn't really been at his best. Did have the 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 walk today in a pinch-hitting capacity after coming into the game. 
for one with a walk. But I feel like Goldsmith feels comfortable in that two spot. And so he takes three walks today. That is what it is. And he knows that the guys behind him, you got to trust that they're going to be able to drive you in. Nolan did that today. Uh, Pujols went over four, ultimately said he was going to do damage. That didn't happen. But to be fair, Pujols only got to face Bubich one time and hit the ball on the screws, and then Bubich was out of the game. So he didn't get to face the lefty three times or four times, maybe the way that he might have anticipated. And so an over four day for Pujols. Dickerson comes in, uh, pinch hit at bat later on. He he does not convert in that one. But let's get into Tyler O'Neill because Tyler O'Neill is a critical part for this Cardinals offense if they want to reach the heights that that they believe they can. O'Neill's got to be a part of that. And and he was on Wednesday going two for four, scoring two runs, also reaching base via walk, so he was on three times. And he had the monster jack two-run home run in the ninth inning. Again, the game was already well out of reach. I believe this is what made it 10 nothing. But boy, oh boy, it would be nice to see Tyler O'Neill hit the ball with authority the way he did right there. He pulled it, nearly pulled it too much because I think the only question was whether or not the ball would stay fair, but it was a moonshot. And that's what Tyler O'Neill can bring. And when he does, I just don't know how you stop this Cardinals lineup. If you've got Edmund Goldsmith getting on base at the top, you've got Arenado, Tyler O'Neill in the middle, driving in runs. That is a, a bona fide one through four. And, and O'Neal is going to get closer and closer. I mean, two two games from now, if he does this twice more, you go, yep, Tyler O'Neal's here. He's back in, in the same as he's ever been. I'm not saying that's automatic that he's going to do that this weekend in San Francisco, but certainly uh, the signs are maybe there that he's starting to come around. I do think the bottom of the lineup is, you know, the second half of that order is one that, that's filled with questions right now. I'm, I'm counting Dylan Carlson among those until he gets straightened out a little bit more. I think in a perfect world, Carlson batting in that five hole could be a good spot for for him and, and for the Cardinals. And then you don't force your DH up in the lineup because your DH isn't hitting necessarily. But, I mean, could you imagine a world where they they let this Corey Dickerson thing play out till it's a logical conclusion and they conclude that giving him at bats over a guy like Nolan Gorman isn't maybe the best thing and you don't have to worry about whether Tommy Edmond can play shortstop and it's just... Nolan Gorman's your DH against right-handed pitching, which is predominantly what you're going to see. And if the Chris Bubich experience on Wednesday doesn't make it any more clear than it already was, to me anyway, if you're another team facing the Cardinals, you know, you've got St. Louis on your schedule, and you've got a left-handed pitcher who's not Clayton Kershaw, I mean, who's not one of the tops in the game, you don't pitch that guy against the Cardinals. I'm not even kidding when I say this. I think that's the strategy. Like, Chris Bubich... They could have pushed him off one more day, right? He's not having a great year. His ERA over 10 coming into the game on Wednesday. If you're the Royals and you see the Cardinals on your schedule and you see what their numbers are the last couple of years against right-handed pitching versus what they've been able to do against lefties, and you you can just read the lineup and recognize that they're going to spank left-handed pitching against you, especially if it's, like I'm saying, it's not one of the top guys where you, you have confidence that, well, it doesn't matter what the lineup is. This is one of the best pitchers in baseball. He'll shut you down. Unless you've got a lefty like that, I'm not throwing him. Not against this Cardinals lineup. Not against Goldsmith. Not against Arenado. O'Neal. No thanks. It just doesn't make any sense. Bader as well. A guy who can hit lefties pretty well. Didn't talk about Bader, but he had a one for four day. Scored a run. Drove one in as well. Paul DeYoung reached base. Batted ninth. He uh, goes 0 for 2, but he did reach via walk and, and had an RBI. 
But my point is, I'm envisioning a world for the Cardinals in the not-too-distant future where they just recognize, and I hate to bash a guy, a guy that's currently on the team as well, haven't seen a whole lot from Dickerson to suggest to me that he should be getting regular at-bats. Coming into the season when he signed with the Cardinals, it was a $5 million one-year deal. And my first thought was, why? And then I quickly came around on the idea of, okay, they can have this guy be an on-base presence, almost like a second leadoff guy in the middle of the lineup if his OBP can dictate that. He's been a guy that over the course of his career, he's gotten on base a decent amount, not a crazy high amount that you'd want him to be your leadoff hitter, but he's got a 325 career on base. And last year, once he got traded to T- Toronto, it was 329. So that's that's right in line with his career norms. Good bat to ball skills, has had several seasons with a 300 or better average. Hit 271 last year. So, okay, maybe he's not a big power guy, but... You can you can formulate a different kind of lineup if he's batting fifth or sixth for you against right-handed pitching, a lefty bat that can hit right-handed pitching. That's what you're looking for. That can work. And then you have some guys with some sneaky pop at the bottom of your lineup, whether it's Bader or whether it's Tommy Edmond, back when I thought he was going to be hitting down there predominantly. Now you could say Dylan Carlson. So it's like a like a B team where you you just kind of roll the lineup back over after your your big on-base guys at the beginning, and then your boppers in the middle. You start it again with guys like Dickerson and then have the the Baders and Edmonds. They just run and, and hit doubles and drive in runs and score some runs themselves. It, it, it could be a vicious cycle for an opposing pitcher, but it just hasn't really worked out that way for Dickerson. And like I said, my initial thought was why? Why do they need him if you're going to give Lars Newtbar a run? I didn't have the same reaction that Cardinals Twitter had where they said, oh, the signing of Dickerson means that they're going to do something with Newtbar. They're going to trade him for a pitcher. That's what everybody thought. I said, no, you don't want to trade Newtbar. He's got years of control. This is a one-year deal. One should not have anything to do with the other. But the reality, maybe, the further we get into this, is that one, the signing of Dickerson, maybe just shouldn't have happened if they weren't if they, you know, if they weren't willing to give Newtbar these opportunities. You do kind of wonder what do they keep him around for. But I just... I just I just think it was a matter of they they saw the cost certainty and said, well, it's not that much. It's $5 million just in case things don't pan out. But it's almost like now they're reverse engineering that where they are effectively blocking more so than I expected them to be doing guys like Newt Bar. They blocked Newt Bar so much that Moselak sent him down to AAA because he wasn't getting enough at-bats. To me, it should have been an even split from the beginning with Dickerson and Newt Bar taking those left-handed at-bats at, at the DH spot against right-handed pitching. But you go and give Albert a day and see, well, maybe he can do well against righties. And then he does on that particular day. And so, okay, let's give him another chance. And then he kind of fades back to what you expected him to be. Not very effective against right-handed pitching. But now two more days have gone by. You still haven't seen Newt Bar. Well, we got to get the other lefty in the, in the lineup, the one we're paying $5 million. So then you give Dickerson an outing. Okay, and then maybe on the fourth day you get Newt Bar a chance to pinch hit. But... Well, next day's a lefty, and so Albert's going to be in there. It just got to be where Newtbar wasn't being utilized as much as I thought. And and so I thought when the Dickerson signing happened, my first thought was why. I was quickly talked into it where I said, okay, this can make sense, and it's low risk, right? There's not a whole lot of risk involved in it. You haven't seen your other DH options like Yepes. You haven't seen – and Albert, by the way, had not been signed at that point. And so I was just thinking – 
all right, well, whether it's Yepes or whomever it is, maybe Dickerson ends up just being more of your your DH at bats than than we otherwise thought if Yepes isn't making the roster or whatever the case might be. And ultimately, they signed Pujols, which clarified that situation even further. But I just think right now, you got to get to a point where you're asking yourself, like, it's it's fine to, to bash on Paul DeYoung if that's what you want to do. He's He's hitting poorly. I get it. Defensively, he's still making good plays. Consistently, been a good presence there. I still say the offense is more valuable than the defense, but we've seen instances where he's saved the Cardinals pitching staff runs because of what he brings defensively. And that's why they're so gosh darn intent upon seeing this out to its very last thread because they remember what DeYoung could do offensively and they just want to see if there's a way to, to catch lightning in a bottle and get that back with him. And the reason that they're so willing to go so long with it is because they currently see what he does defensively and they like it. It's it's still productive on that side of things. And I think, you know, Sosa's on the IL right now, but if you if you had him each start 100 games, who would have the better defensive record? I don't know if it's DeYoung or Sosa, but I think I think it's DeYoung's looked really good. DeYoung is not going to make as many of the errors trying to be flashy, I think, as Sosa sometimes is prone to do. I still think Sosa is very talented defensively, but more sure-handed maybe would be would be DeYoung of the two. But it's not really a conversation when neither of them is hitting. So what are we really talking about at that point? And that's why a lot of Cardinals fans have have kind of clung to that because they remember the offseason when they said, I, I said in December that they need to get a shortstop that can hit. And like so far, DeYoung is proving those people right because he hasn't been able to hit. But for me, that's not the chief issue right now with the lineup when things aren't going well. And again, I'm still kind of talking about the lineup in general terms in its totality. Despite the fact that they scored 10 runs in their most recent game, the lineup is still what it is. And they're going to San Francisco this weekend, and they're they're probably going to be games where they don't put it together. I'd like to see their bad games be three, four runs instead of getting shut out, scoring one run. Uh, maybe they win that game one nothing like they did on Monday by scoring only once. But long term, that's not a, necessarily a recipe that that you can find success with. And so, the part of the lineup I'm still going to keep honing in on is the DH spot, especially now that we see Yepes come up and have a little bit of success. Put him out there. I don't know how much Albert Pujols taking. I mean, he, Albert Pujols should not take at bats against righties. I just don't really know how valuable that is right now. And obviously, they, the plan was for him to play against a lefty on Wednesday. He took one at bat. The lefty got taken out. That's You're fine with that because it means you're up 5 nothing as the Cardinals were after the first inning. Probably not going to lose very many games with that situation brewing, and so you're cool with it. But I think if you're looking long-term at the lineup, and that's what we're always going to try to do on B-Shape Daily because I think it's going to continue to be a topic of conversation throughout the season, you like what that 1-4 through four looks like as long as O'Neill moves back up and performs. But they've continued to try to move the DH up to, to five or sometimes four. We saw Albert batting cleanup. I I just, I think if anybody is going to DH and bat cleanup on this team, it could be Nolan Gorman, maybe Juan Yepes. Juan Yepes could be more of a five or number six hitter in your lineup. But I, I think, decide what you think about Corey Dickerson if you're the Cardinals give him the run that you think he needs to have to to make a determination and then you know maybe he's just an expensive luxury after that off your bench 
I don't think they need to continue to feel obligated to give him plate appearances based on the contract if he's not performing. Siphon it out. Do what you said you were going to do with regard to platoon splits, but maybe have a guy who's performed more or at least is a younger player that is possibly part of your future. Like, no offense to Corey Dickerson, but I don't think anybody is under the impression he's part of their future beyond 2022. It's a one-year deal, and so far the returns aren't great. So you look at other options like Newt Barr and Nolan Gorman, those are left-handed batters that I think it's just going to make too much sense at a certain point to give those guys opportunities. And let DeYoung play shortstop. If he's batting ninth and he's playing good defensive shortstop, and you have a guy hitting well at DH, whomever that might be, but let's just pretend that that they come up with that name, and then your top four in the lineup are doing well like they're supposed to, and Dylan Carlson begins to come on strong, and Bader keeps doing what he's doing, which has been just fine, that's a lineup, and you're pretty happy with it. And that includes DeYoung still being in it. If he finds it, great. If he doesn't, well, it's less great, but he's your ninth batter. It is what it is. But I think when you have two spots in the lineup, which is right now the DH and the shortstop, and it's pretty glaring, and you're not getting a ton of production from catcher, Yachty not having a great offensive season, Kisner doing okay, though. But that's just too many spots in the lineup that when the inevitable days arrive that your main guys aren't on it, that probably means your whole lineup isn't going to be on it. And I think that's what it boils down to and why you see so far already so many days of quiet bats for the Cardinals because really there's only about five and a half spots in the lineup that you could expect real production to come from. And some days you've got more than that. You've got five guys, more than half the lineup, starting that they have a a batting average below 200. I mean, that's that's happened multiple times this year. So it's just trying to figure out that mixture, but I, I just think they're kind of biding their time right now. I'm not saying you release Corey Dickerson. I'm saying whether it's a uh, another few starts or whatever that length of time is, see what it looks like and make a determination to say, we're going to start to, to siphon some of those at-bats towards some of the younger guys to see what we've got in them because there does come a point where you say, well, it cannot get worse at these certain positions than what we're doing. Defensively at shortstop, you can make that decision that, well, it can get worse because we believe that the value of having this guy, Paul DeYoung, at shortstop defensively is X, and we're worried that it's going to drop to this if we make a move, and that also makes our second base defense worse. And so we've just made the determination that the offensive gain produced by making those moves isn't worth going down that path. The juice is not worth the squeeze. I don't agree with it, but if that's the way they, they approach it, that's fine. But I don't think there's any excuse for not approaching it differently at the DH position because there is no defensive consideration at DH. Uh, all there is is a financial consideration for the guy that you you signed in the spring and you're paying a few million bucks to. Uh, the Mets, one of the best teams in the league so far, off to a good start this season. They DFA'd Robinson Cano. They owed him like $40 million. So the, you can't let money at all be a consideration. I just think it's been about a month. I'm watching Corey Dickerson's at-bats. I hope he comes around, but as of right now, that's a place where I would begin to siphon more at-bats to guys that could be long-term contributors in the future relative to to what you expect Corey Dickerson to be. 
And hopefully, you know, it ends up being a, a good problem to have where Dickerson and the opportunities that he gets ends up being more of that on-base guy, that, that bat-to-ball guy that you hoped he would be when you signed him. And he could certainly end up being a guy that drives in runs because any time that you're batting with, with runners on bases, he probably often will based on who's in front of him in the lineup and where he's regularly been hitting you probably get yourself into a scenario where you could just get a base hit to the outfield or even put a ball in play, sacrifice fly, whatever, and come up with some RBIs. So I get that there's value there to that. But I do think the upside to Newt Bar and certainly to Gorman is higher. And I know that you don't want to bring Gorman up until he gets at bats because that's the exact reason that Newt Bar went down, right? He wasn't playing. And so what's what's the rub on that? Well, I think that's kind of where the front office is when people say, well, what's wrong with Mosellock? Why won't he call up? Nolan Gorman, why won't he give him this chance? I think he's got to know that when he does, it's it's an agreement with him and, and with the, the field staff and with Ali Marmol that, hey, this guy's got to play. And Ali knows that too. And so I think when when that time comes, you will see Nolan Gorman be in the lineup on a regular basis. But they've also got Yepes that they want to kind of find out what he is as well. So he's getting the first crack at it this week with Sosa on the IL. I think that's a fine thing. Like that he got in the lineup on Wednesday. Don't love that it was in right field. Just DH him. It's okay. And I know that was just, you know, giving Dylan some time. But moving forward, I would be comfortable to see Juan Yepes in the DH role more often. Get him a sample size of at-bats so that you can figure out how you want to proceed. Because, listen, he bats right-handed, sure. But if he's, if he's going to hit right-handed pitching, left-handed pitching, if he's going to hit it all, he can play. You're still going to give Albert those opportunities, I think, against lefty pitchers because he has shown to, to be pretty adept at, at those spots. But otherwise, just if Yepes is going to be the, the other side of that platoon, that's fine too. I know he's a right-handed batter. It doesn't really matter. He might be more effective against right-handed pitching than Albert. And so just give him at bats and see what he could do. He, he's mashed in Memphis. 974 is an OPS that would certainly play. I know you're not going to just translate your AAA numbers into the big leagues just like that, but it is a case where he's hit everywhere he's been, Juan Yepes, and so lefty, righty, doesn't matter. I, I think the Cardinals have an obligation this week to put him in the lineup with regularity and, and maybe see what they've got. It certainly worked out on Wednesday. We're talking a lot about maybe the downside of things when we, we should definitely acknowledge that it was a, a wonderful day on Wednesday for the Cardinals offensively. It's just what we've seen so often. I would almost be more encouraged by a day where they do face a tough pitcher which wasn't the case on Wednesday. Bubich has been horrible. But a day where they face a tough pitcher, and instead of saying, well, we tip our cap because we face a tough pitcher and we only scored two runs, they find a way to grind out five runs instead. And whether they win or lose that game is more dependent on what the pitching does. But but you get into a feel of a game and you go, yeah, this day could be tough offensively, and yet they figure out a way to score four. Those are the, the marks I'm looking for from the Cardinals offense to show progress. The days where they score 10, those are going to happen often because there's a lot of talent in this lineup, but I think the matter of consistency is still something that they are chasing, and it, and it could be for a little while now. We'll see if they're able to kind of catch that lightning in a bottle and be able to find it, but so far this season, when we've seen the eight runs or the seven runs or the ten runs like we did on Wednesday, you kind of have a feeling about what may be to follow, and this weekend it'll be in San Francisco against a pretty good Giants team. They've got some good pitchers over there, and so the Cardinals will kind of have to figure out what they're going to going to do offensively uh, for four games out out west. Kicking the series off on Thursday is going to be Miles Michaelis 
starting for the Cardinals. He's taken that 1.52 ERA into San Francisco and going to take on the Giants. Currently on MLB.com, as I'm recording this, the Giants pitcher is listed as TBD, so not sure exactly where they're looking to begin the series against the Cardinals on the long weekend starting on Thursday, but uh, I'm sure that'll be along uh, sometime on Thursday before game time, and they just haven't announced their starters at all for the series. Hicks will go for the Cardinals on Friday, so we'll kind of get into it a little bit more. I'm looking to do one more podcast, one more B-Shape Daily this week on Thursday night. Might be kind of late by the time I get around to it since uh, the Cardinals are, of course, on the West Coast. So we'll see. I'm hopeful, though, to have it Friday morning for you. That'll probably be the last one for a few days because I'm going to Nashville for the weekend. Bachelor party trip uh, for one of my good buddies and my co-host, Andy Humphrey. If you listen to uh, the big show on KTGR, they're in Columbia, Missouri or KTGR.com. We're going to go out to Nashville and have a good time, celebrate Andy, who's uh, joining the ranks of uh, married individuals later on this summer. And so that will be fun for sure. And hey, if you're interested in doing this, which I, I had one person already on Twitter say, oh, I wish this trend would stop. I think it's dumb. But I said, hey, it's all good. Nobody has to feel obligated to do it. I've seen it work for people before. And so if you would like to buy a, a drink for my buddy Andy Humphrey, uh, check out at B. Schaefer 12 on Twitter, I retweeted the uh, the Venmo link if you want to throw Andy a little bit of beer money for his weekend in Nashville. Don't have to do it. Either way, it's fine with me. Uh, we're going to have a good time out there. Make sure you follow me on all the socials as well. It's at B. Schaefer 12 pretty much everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and also TikTok now as well. And I think that is maybe the place for the weekend that has the most potential for some fireworks if you want to see some you know, zany behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, I was told there was no no bail money being uh, issued by uh, the Grimm's family for this trip. So we're all going to have to be on our best behavior. But uh, we, uh, we'll probably have some fun out there, and uh, I might post a few TikToks while I'm there, at Schaefer 12 But if you don't want to follow that stuff, don't worry about it. What I would like for you to follow is more B-Shafe Daily content because we'll be talking Cardinals all season long. So go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, even Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Hit up B-Shape Daily and make sure you leave a review as well. Nice review would be most appreciated. And also YouTube. Brendan Schaefer on YouTube. I'm going to start posting there some more as well in the future. So appreciate you guys, as always, for joining me. And we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.